Well, I don't know if it's a true story or not, but I heard a story about a building contractor who had a huge bid to put in on a multi-million dollar bit, a, a building. And the day came, like there was, a, there was a window of time to submit your bid, the application. He had it all filled out, and he waited till the very last day. Okay? So the very last day, he walked into the office of the president to submit his bid application. A little bit nervous. I mean, this, this would be a big deal if he got this. This would be a big deal for him and his company. So he walked in there, and he looked around, and lo and behold, there was nobody in the office of the president. He's, he's in there alone. He's kind of looking around, like, why did they let me in here? There's nobody in here. And, and so he looked at this, this large mahogany desk, and, and, and he noticed on the top of the desk was, was a bid from one of his competitors. Okay, And, and it was open. The, the folder was open, and he could see onto the application. And so he, he, he stole a glance. He just looked at it just for a minute. And to his dismay... Right where the, the dollar amount was located, because of course if he found out what the other guy bid, he could go underneath him. Just where the dollar amount was located was a can of soda. Okay? If he only knew what was underneath that can of soda, right? And so he, he kind of, you know, he thought, well, that's not going to work out, is it? But then he looked around, and, and there's nobody in here. And then he, he kind of reached out and, and touched the soda and pulled his hand back. And then he thought, well... You know, he looked one more time, and he's sure nobody's in there with him. And he picks up the can, and when he picks up the can, a hundred BBs come spilling out from the bottom of the can. <laughs> yeah. Um, that man suffered the law of unintended consequences. That is, we like to think that we can be so in control of our sin that we can stop things from happening as a result of it. Right? We don't always want to resist sin and, and, and die to it. Often we just want to manage it. Right? Especially if it's kind of a low-level sin that's it's never going to get us in big trouble anyway. We, we can just manage that thing. But what we don't understand is that sin isn't easily manageable. Sin is like, sin is like a lion, and we're not circus tamers trying to get this thing to con- control. You know? They, we think of sin as like, it's for entertainment. Let, let's tame the lion and use it. But sin doesn't work that way. It, it always takes more than what we want it to. Sin, then, is more dangerous than you or I can imagine. Whatever, whatever you currently imagine sin to be, whatever level you think you understand the nature of sin... It's worse than that. It's worse than that. None of us see sin the way God does. You ever read the Bible, and we're going to do it in a second, and you ever get to those stories where, where God sees someone sinning, and it's just like, you know, boom, they're done. And we go, oh, that's hard. You know, that's a hard passage to read. I'll tell you why it's hard. Because we don't think sin's really that bad. Do we preach on hell a lot? Because... Because liars go there, and we've I've done a lot of that, you know. So, so we, we don't we just don't get it the way God gets it. Sin is more dangerous than you or I imagine. So we're going to look at a story that I believe is included in the Bible to teach us to give us the illustration of how dangerous and deadly sin really is. 
Look at Joshua chapter 7. You should have a Bible in your pews if you need one. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. So last week was Jericho. We saw how the walls fell down. Um, uh, hopefully we answered the difficult question of destroy everything and, and, and how, we, how we should think about that biblically, how we should deal with that. Um, and we also looked at the power of God that caused the walls to fall. Israel's about to fight a battle where they don't have the power. It's gone. But the power that caused the walls to fall is not there when they need it next. Let's check it out. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. So you've just got the story of Jericho and all the amazing things that happened. Like verse 27, if you want to look at that real quick from chapter 6, the Lord was with, Yahweh was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Then you got 7 verse 1. But, so now we have a total change in the direction here, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. The devoted things. That is, the things God said, those, those, those spoils of war, the plunders devoted to me. Other times God would say, take the plunder. But this time at Jericho, he said, no, you're to keep none of it. So the Lord's, Yahweh's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will have to go against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it. Don't weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Now, my intention with the time that we have remaining is to just demonstrate from Joshua 7 how dangerous sin really is. You can fill in the blank on whatever sin you're thinking about this morning, um, whatever sin you're dealing with in your life. Um, But whatever that sin is that you're going to fill in your own blank in your own head, I'm talking about that one. Okay, uh, It'd be easy for me to pick the sins that I don't like the most and preach on those. But, but, but Joshua 7 is about sin in general and how dangerous it really is. Why is it dangerous? Number one, number one, sin affects the entire community. It hurts the whole community. See, we tend to define sin as sin's that thing between but between me and me, or me and God, or whatever. See, we tell ourselves these stories like, sin's not gonna, if it doesn't hurt other people, it's not really that bad. We tend to define sin as this thing that I do that hurts other people, right? And maybe that just comes from the laws we have, you know? A lot of the laws in America are really trying to keep you from hurting someone else. 
If you're hurting yourself, it's kind of hard to stop you from doing that. You know, you can always find a way to hurt yourself. But hurting other people, we'll make laws about that. And I'm sure there's some laws about hurting yourself too. I'm not saying that they're not there. But we focus on that. And yet, sin is, is, is this communal thing. That the, the sin that I do, that seems like all it should bother is me, because it's personal, really has an effect on the people around me. The people around me hurt because of what I'm doing. Even if I don't intend to hurt them. Even if nothing I do would be categorized as evil and against you, what I do is going to hurt you. Sin is communal. Uh, if, if you want to challenge that, it's hard to get around the communal elements of Adam and Eve's sin, isn't it? You know? They sin, we're infected, we're still feeling the consequences. We're still hurting because they chose to sin. The whole creation's hurting, Paul says in Romans. It's groaning, waiting for redemption because they sinned. Sin's communal. You can't stop it from hurting the people that you love. 36 people died because Achan sinned. 36 people died. And it says, Israel acted unfaithfully. Did you catch that? Israel, the nation, acted unfaithfully. And you go, well, upon my reading, it's one guy. Achan, one guy. But Achan stood for everybody. Oh, that we might wake up and and think to ourselves, How is my sin going to hurt my family down the road? How's it going to hurt my friends down the road? How's it going to hurt this church down the road? I can't keep going down this road. Sin hurts the community. Let's keep reading though. Verse 6. This is Joshua's response. Joshua's response is uninformed because he doesn't know anyone stole anything. Verse 6. So Joshua, son of Nun called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people advance. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Totally wrong. Wow. You know what? Verse 6 was about Joshua, I think. Yikes. There we go. Verse 6, then Joshua... See, he's right there. (laughs) Verse 6, then Joshua tore his clothes. That's not quite advancing, is it? Um, Tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of of Yahweh, remained there until evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. That's a sign of mourning. Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, Yahweh, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd be content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say now that Israel's been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other peoples of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? And then Yahweh said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. Here's the problem with sin and why it's so dangerous. Sin offends a holy God, number two. It offends a holy God. When we sing, God, you're holy, 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 we're saying holy holy means completely set apart. You're not like any other being. You're completely unique. 
You're completely pure. Holiness that, that uh, denotes purity. There's no sin in you, no wickedness in you. And the holy God calls his people to be holy. Achan's one of God's people. And yet he didn't act according to the covenant. See, when we sin, sometimes we define sin, again, as that doing bad to somebody else I referred to earlier. Sin, though, at its core, if you want to define sin, you do know better than looking at maybe Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is sin? Sin is God's standard is here. God's standard is himself. We fall short of that. If God is honest and truthful, when we lie, we fall short of that. We fall short. Uh, John says it like this. First John, one of the best definitions of sin I've ever read. First John 3, verse 4. Sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness. Well, if the Bible defines sin as falling short of the glory of God and as lawlessness, that means God has set up a law and a standard. If you don't meet that law, then you've sinned. Sin is not whatever feels the worst in society. Sin is not a lot of things that we think of. I mean, it can be hurtful. It can be painful. It can involve doing something bad to a, to a friend or a neighbor. But sin is how God defines it. Not whatever feels worse to us. I mean, do you do that? Where you kind of have a, a hierarchy of sins in your mind, like, if I don't do these, I feel pretty good. And I do these down here, I don't feel too bad. In fact, I don't usually even repent. I just keep doing them. But if sin is lawlessness, when I break the law, I've offended God's holiness. And without Christ, I deserve hell forever for that thing down here that I did. Do I hate sin like that? Probably not. It offends God, a holy God. He says, you violated my covenant. Let's keep going, though. Let's look at verse. So, so God is talking to Joshua about, I want you to find who has done this and destroy the person and the things that belong to him. That's God's command. So uh, we're going to go to verse uh, 16. Let's take a look at that. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was taken. Uh, apparently, maybe they cast lots or used the Urim and Thummim, the, the, those, that sacred, some sort of casting lots that God commanded in the Old Testament. I can't tell you a lot about how that works because I don't understand it all the way, but, but, but they cast something that, that seemed to take the clan of Judah. Then the clans of Judah came forward and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was taking. He's narrowing it down by family. Verse 18, Joshua had his family come forward man by man and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Give him praise. Tell me what you've done. Do not hide it from me. Achan said, it's true. I've sinned against Yahweh, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw the, the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. I, I don't find it surprising 
that he buried it. You know, keep it covered up. This is what we do. This is what we do. Cover the sin. Consider this. Secret sins get found out. Consider this, the verse, be sure your sins will find you out. I know that it's possible, it's possible to go to your deathbed without people knowing what you've done. But usually and eventually, your sin comes to light. That's number three. It doesn't stay secret. If God is a God of light and he's a God that hates sin, would you consider for a second that God is very good at shining his light onto your sin and onto my sin? And the ones that we think we can keep secret, that we have enough power, we have enough control over the sin to hide it, God says, are you going to hide it from the blazing sun of my light? Really? Do you think you're going to outwit me and hide this thing? Oh, I know, the verse, be sure your sins will find you out. It's one of those verses that kind of haunt you when you get into this cycle of secret sin. And and you tell yourself, "I, I can do this in a way that no one will know. But then there's God. And I don't think any of us know how to outsmart Him. Let's keep that in mind. And let's also keep in mind that it's almost like a proverb that be sure your sins will find you out, right? It's, it's, it's wisdom. It doesn't mean that every single person's sin is always known. You might get to your deathbed and no one knows. But usually and eventually, it comes out. It doesn't stay secret. The other thing I'll call your attention to is verse 21. Just read it. Look at it again. Why sin so dangerous? When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. When I saw them, I coveted them. Did I read this and I'm asking myself, did Achan go into Jericho wanting the plunder? Did he wake up that morning and say, today's the day, I'm going in there and I'm getting what's mine? doesn't sound like it, does it? It sounds like he walked into the city and he's looking around and, 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 and the victory is theirs and he walks into some random house and he's looking around and there's nobody in the house with him. Nobody will know. And he sees a robe. He sees gold. He sees silver. And suddenly what springs up into his heart is coveting. I want that. Yes, I know God said he wants all the plunder and I'm to devote that to him. I want that. You see, sin is so dangerous. Sin is like, like, like this untamed lion because, because what it does is we, we often think and we tell ourselves, if Satan's going to attack me, he's going to come through the front door. Isn't that kind of what we kind of like to tell ourselves? Like, like we're going to be sitting there one day in our living room and here comes Satan coming down the road and we're like, oh, here he comes. I'm ready. I'm praying. I got my Bible out. I see him coming. I'm ready. probably he's coming at a time you're not ready for. Probably he's coming through the back door. Probably the temptation's just going to hit you. And those temptations that you're not ready for, those are the ones that get you in big trouble. Wouldn't it be better to 
spend time in Scripture every day, spend time praying every day for your own spiritual strength, for, for stamina, for perseverance to stand against Satan? Wouldn't it be better to have the spiritual armor of God on, to be strong in the faith like we talked about a few weeks back, so that when Satan comes to tempt you, you're ready. You're ready. You're like Jesus in the wilderness. I got the verse right on my mind, you know, because I was reading this morning and Satan came later that day and I was ready. I was ready. He may come through the front door, I don't know. (laughs) But often I think he tries to fool us because that's much more deceptive. Sin infects our hearts. Achan walks in, sees it, wants it. It's just right there, ready to go. Are you ready? Are you ready when the sin just creeps up right there? Finally, uh, number five. uh, Let's look at the conclusion of Achan's story. Incredibly sad. Verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers... They ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before Yahweh. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Accor. Accor means trouble, by the way. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? Yahweh will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then Yahweh turned from his fierce anger. Therefore that place has been called the Valley of Accor ever since. The Valley of Trouble. The Valley of Trouble. Number five. Sin results in destruction. It's so dangerous because it just destroys things. When, I'm, when I see my kids, I mean, I, mean I, I light the grill and we have nice cookouts at my house, but when I see my kids pick up the box of matches after I've lit the grill, uh, I, I'm kind of firm on that one, okay? You know, we're not, we're not playing with matches. We're not getting these out and, and thinking this is fun because chances are it's not, nothing's going to happen, but we're not messing with fire. Parents teach your kids this all the time. You know, we go into Walmart and there's this giant uh, 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 watermelon knife, right? Those, those long ones right there in the produce section. My kids pull it out. Watermelon knife, right? It's like a machete. <laughs> and uh, no, we're not doing that. That's not good. I know you're not going to go through the Walmart like this, you know? I know, I know you're not, not going to try to cause destruction. But sin leads to destruction. Friendships are destroyed. Marriages are destroyed. People are destroyed. You can't control the destruction. The best thing you can do, actually, is if you're in the middle of destruction, start asking yourself the question, what sin happened here? You got that family relationship that's broken? What sin happened? It's kind of like when we moved into into a house in Watoma. I remember um, there there was a house fire before we bought the house that the renter before us had. And, uh, of course, the first question when there's a house fire, everybody wants to know how to start. Everybody wants to know that. There's a house fire. How to start? When you see destroyed relationships, destroyed people, it's a telltale sign that there was a fire. There was a sin there. Well, what is it? What is it? How, how can I deal with that sin 
so that maybe God will come in and heal and bring restoration after the fire hits. Sin brings destruction. And the Lord commanded this. This wasn't that this destruction of of Achan and Achan's family was not something Israel was like, oh, I can't wait to get him. It, it was God saying, this is the price that must be paid. Again, it would do us really, really good to consider how is my sin going to destroy me and destroy people around me? Destroy friendships that used to be good. Destroy marriages that used to be strong. What's it destroying? I want to end with some good news, though, um, because my closing point is this. If sin is more dangerous than we think, the opposite is also true. God is more gracious than you can imagine. God is so much more gracious than you can imagine. If you put the last verse up there, um, this, is, uh, this is Paul talking about his own sin. Uh, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. If sin is worse than you think, if sin is more deadly than you can imagine, his grace is bigger than you think as well. I once heard, uh, I was reading a book by Erwin Lutzer, the pastor at uh, Moody Church in Chicago, And he said, God is more willing to forgive than you are to sin. You know, turn that one around for a while, right? (laughs) He's more willing to forgive than I am to sin. His forgiveness is enormous. It's enormous. We sing songs like, grace like rain, right? His grace is like rain coming down. But I'd say it's, you know, it's so much bigger. It's so much bigger. It's like standing under Niagara Falls, you know? It just hits you. And there's no way for you to be able to stand under the weight of all of that. That's His grace. It just, it just envelopes you. At the end of the day, if you're in Christ and you've sinned, there's grace to cover the sin. And if you're in Christ, and at the end of the day, you didn't sin, you, you rejected sin, which probably every day we do sin in some way, but if you rejected the sin that usually trips you up, that was because of grace. His powerful grace working in you. The grace saves you from sin and it keeps you from sin. At the end of the day, you and I get more grace. That's it. And that's beautiful. He says it's pouring out, verse 14, pouring out on me abundantly. I don't think we can imagine how big that grace is. And it deserves its own sermon. But it wasn't Joshua chapter 7. But I just wanted to leave you with that thought. We are going to transition now into a time of communion. And uh, we're going to do this a little bit differently. Uh, In light of of thinking about our sin, I just want you to consider that 
if, if God is so angry at sin that Achan died, his family died, all of his stuff was, was, was just obliterated. And then think about Christ taking that on himself. That is, that is marvelous. I want you today, however you feel led, to spend time with the Lord in communion. Okay, I want to explain how we might want to do this. I'm going to pray at the beginning of communion. Then I'm going to invite the ushers uh, up. They will, they will distribute the elements to you. If you're a believer in Christ, this is for you. Okay, this is for you. If you're not a believer in Christ, this is not for you. And we should talk about how you can start a relationship with Christ, but this is not for you. This is to remember the death of Christ. His blood symbolized by the juice, his body symbolized by the bread. I want you today just to have a conversation with Jesus. You know, I don't don't know how that goes. Maybe it's just thankfulness that he covered your sin. Maybe, though, you say, here's a sin that I haven't dealt with in my life. So so deal with it this morning. Let's talk afterwards, but but, but deal with it. So there's going to be no break between the bread and the juice, okay? There's going to be no break. I'm going to pray once. The bread's going to go out. Then the cup will go out. You spend time with Jesus, and when you feel like taking the bread and the cup, do so on your own, okay? And then when we all seem to be done, I will come up and close it off, and and we'll pray and we'll be done. A couple of the things I want to remind you of this morning. One is we do have a gluten-free communion right over here. If you are gluten-free, you can raise your hand, and we will get that to you. So if you see your if your hands up, we'll find you and give that to you. Um, the other thing is at the end of this service, we're going to be taking a benevolence offering, and this is a special one. This goes for the food pantry that we support in town that reaches a whole lot of people that have needs for food. So if you want to donate that money, this is one of our ministries of this church, and you want to donate to the food pantry to help feed people, uh, please consider doing that. And as you walk out, there'll be ushers at the door that will take that offering, okay? So, can I have the ushers come forward at this time that will serve the communion? A couple of the things you might consider doing during this time, uh, worship team will be singing a song. Maybe you sing, maybe you listen to the words There'll be a verse on the screen behind me. Maybe you want to meditate on that verse and just consider how Christ took the curse that was coming at you. He took it on himself. That verse will be up there. Would you just respond in a way that makes sense to you this morning and meet with Jesus? That's our intention in doing communion this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we stand here, we sit here, only because you've died for us. We would be like Achan. We would be condemned. We would be without hope and without God in the world. We'd be children of wrath were it not for you, Jesus, who have given your body and given your blood to cover our darkness, to cover our sin. So you filled us up with light. You've shined light into the dark corners of our life, the secret places. You've drugged that stuff out. You've helped us drag it out. Oh God, I, I pray for those here this morning that, that want this time of communion with you, want this to be meaningful, want that time with you, Jesus. And yet they know there's this sin. 
There's this thing right there that they just haven't repented of. They haven't turned from it. Oh God, I pray this morning that they would have a remarkable time of repentance. And then I pray that they could take communion in that spirit. God, I pray for those that are not repentant, that they are not going to do that this morning. They're not in the right place. I pray that they could just let this pass them by. Let the bread go, let the cup go, until they are ready to make things right. Oh God, we know, we know we don't earn our relationship with you. We know that we've done nothing to earn your favor and grace. But we also know you've called us to holiness. We know that you said, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. I pray that each of us this morning will be able to spend time with you and hear from you. And that when we take the bread, and that when we take the cup, it would be an incredible, powerful reminder, an incredible, powerful event where we remember all that you've done for us. We pray your blessing on this time now. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.